Ecclesiastes. We're into chapter 9 now. I tell you what, there, there are some... There are some subjects in the Bible. It might depend on the time in our life. It might just be something we're always passionate about, but there's something about those things we talked about last week. The idea that, that we just can't figure out everything. There, there's a passionate thought in that because if we're hung up on those things we can't figure out, we're hindered from moving forward and doing what the Lord wants us to do. So what an important subject that was, that, that we're, we have conveyed in the Word of God to us that, hey, don't, don't get bogged down in things that you can't change, that you don't understand why they're happening. That's what we talked about last week. Last week, Solomon dealt with these things that we can't explain, and we're not going to be able to explain, like, like punishment for evil is not immediately ministered and. You know, and you, it just seems to go on and on to, to you and I, but God's in control. Or, you know, sometimes those who do not know Christ, they are living in the world and their lives appear to be, to be lengthened. Or the righteous and their lives, they seem to be shortened sometimes. And... We can't get all hung up on that. We need to understand that God is perfect. God is flawless. He knows what He's doing. He's always been in control. And He's in control right now. So the first thing we'll look at in verse 1 is forgetting the evaluation. For all this I considered in my heart even to declare all this, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. No man knoweth either love or hatred by all that is before them. So Solomon has had a complete experience. And Solomon has done a lot of observing. He's made great observations of life in his experience. And the wisdom of Solomon says to us, forget the scorekeeping. Forget the evaluation of this and that. Don't get obsessed with the things that just don't seem right to be going on that we don't understand. Forget the evaluation of the things that happen in this life. The things that leave us with a question. Let's not get hung up on that between the wicked and the righteous. My Bible says that our Father in heaven 
maketh His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Man, we were really wanting some rain a while back. And I wanted to go play in the rain like I was a kid the first time I saw it here a month ago or something after not having any for so long. It rained. I'm a child of God, and it rained at my house. And I may have some neighbors down the road who are not children of God, and it rained at their house too. The sun shines good. You know, Brock and I were talking. This has been a couple of years ago. It's funny how things just pop up in your mind. And Brock said, you know, everybody's blessed. Some just don't realize it. And that's true. And we see it right here by that verse I just quoted about the sun rising and the rain falling on, on all. So, God does that. So we're not to be keeping up with monitoring and keeping score on the blessings and the burdens in life. God never told us we wouldn't have troubles. Some, some prosperity preacher might have said that. But God never said that. Jesus actually promised some tribulation. So no matter what our lot in life is, who we are, what we do, as children of God, we are in the hand of God, it says. right. That, that should give us peace right there. Yeah, that's what God's wanting to do for our minds and, and all of the dilemma that we create of everything that's going on, look, the, right, the, the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. That ought to be good enough for us. You know, what's coming tomorrow for the unsaved? What's coming tomorrow for the saved? I don't know. We, we don't know what's coming tomorrow. One of my favorite verses, one of my favorite Proverbs, anyway, is 27.1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. One of my wife's favorite hymns goes like this. I don't know about tomorrow. It may bring me poverty. But the one who holds the sparrow is the one who stands by me. And the path that be my portion may be through the flame or flood. But his presence goes before me and I'm covered with his blood. We don't know about tomorrow because different things can come about. May we never make the mistake of trying to measure God's love by the blessings and burdens of life. And I know you've heard that before, and, and these are things we always need to hear. Because, because there's this rut that, that seems like it's always trying to pull us in it. And it's in that category of the things that happen and weighing out what God's love is to us. We're, we're never to measure His love by blessings and burdens. How foolish is that? Because we cannot have God to love us any more than He does. He's never going to love us any less than He does. You know what that's doing? That's putting God in, in a feeling of humanity and of the heart if we were to do that. And that's not how God is. 
His, his love is not like human love. We cannot increase or decrease God's love. Our circumstances, they really fluctuate. They come and go and they're different. But God's love is always the same. So let us not make the mistake of trying to measure God's love based on what happens and what doesn't happen. And so, continuing on this same thought, let's accept the equality in verse 2. All things come alike to all. There is one event to the righteous and to the wicked, and to the good and to the clean and to the unclean, to him that sacrificeth and to him that sacrificeth not. As is the good, so is the sinner, and he that sweareth as he that feareth an oath. There is a different eternal destination for the saved and the unsaved. We know that, and, and there's to be a difference in the conduct of the saved and the unsaved. Based where we're going should have an effect on our behavior here. And so there's a difference there. But our condition in this world may be the same. The wheat and the tares, the condition throughout our life while we're here, it could be the same. And what I mean by that is that there are some wealthy Christians. There are some wealthy unsaved people too. Everything good God gives. You know, there are, there are some Christians who do not have very much. There are unsaved people who do not have very much. There are Christians with really good health. I heard about a man not too long ago, and, and he had an unfortunate accident and was in the hospital, but a subject that came up from that talk was he, had never, he was in his mid-70s, and he had never taken anything more than an aspirin in his entire life, never t- taken any medication. There are Christians who are very healthy. There are unsaved people who are very healthy. There are Christians who struggle with illness throughout their lives. There are unsaved people who do the same. I mean, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We're, we're, not, we're not to be obsessed in an evaluation of that, but just walking through the world and knowing people, you, you see that. That, that that's the, the way it is. And, and that's what is being conveyed right here. And God's Word says we're to accept the equality of that. We're to overcome evil, verse 3. This is an evil among all things that are done under the sun, that there is one event unto all. Yea, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil, and madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. What, what about this idea that good happens to the good, and good happens to the bad, and bad happens to the good, and bad happens to the bad, and, and so the thought comes up in the mind, what's, what's the difference in how you live? And what you do then, it's ridiculous 
to have the idea that, well, let's just live as we want. That's, that's a man under the son's perspective, but that's not the perspective of the child of God convicted by the Holy Spirit of God to say who cares how we live just because of what we see that people have in common, uh, the righteous or those who are unsaved. Those who know the Lord and, and those who don't are all going to die. How about that? We will both, saved and unsaved, we're going to pass away, we're going to have good things, and bad things happen to us. But to take these facts and to run away with them and say, I'm just going to go ahead and live my life apart from God, and I'm going to please my flesh and do whatever I want is the most foolish thing anyone can do. It says there, in verse 3 that we just read, also the heart of the sons of men is full of evil and madness is in their heart. That's where that would come from. For, for one just to think, I'm just going to live however I live and that's it though. That's because of evil and madness in the heart. But in Christ, we overcome that evil. We see, we get to spiritually see the meaning of life. We have purpose in life. We, we start to understand. We don't get bogged down in the scorecard of life. And, and we see the main things and what's important in life in Christ. And we can overcome the evil. Considering the fact that we'll all die, and, or the insane thought of who cares how we live, let's, let's talk about life now in verses 4 through 6. For to him that is joined... To all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished, neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Life is encouraging. Life is good. Why? Because there is hope. There is hope to experience, there is access to hope while someone is alive. It's good to be alive for anyone because there is the connection that has been or can be made to hope. In, in past chapters, as, as I warned you about as we got started, Solomon was painting a dark picture of life, of being in a place where he wished he were dead, of being in a place where he wished he had never been born, of being in a place where it seemed ideal just to go from the womb to eternity rather than go through this life, and that that would have been better and and man's under the sun thoughts can be of things such as that, but that doesn't mean they're right. 
That doesn't mean that that view is right. It's not right. Life is a gift. And in life, there is the access to hope for everyone that lives. Anyone in this life can have hope. And that makes life encouraging. You know, and most people would say that. I'll never forget a friend I used to run around with right out of high school for a few years. And, and I wasn't a Christian at the time, and he wasn't a Christian. And, well, I ended up, I ended up getting married, and, and man, he thought that was so uncool that I would bust up what he and I had going on in our hanging out as buddies. And so he didn't talk to me for a while. And then we'd chat every now and then. And then some time went by and he finally called me up after I'd become a Christian. And I told him, told him what happened to me. And he knew a little bit about what Christianity was, but he wasn't a Christian. But I remember him saying, you know what? That's good that you have something to believe in. Everybody needs to have faith in something. Everyone needs to have a hope. And I'll just say, praise the Lord, my friend got that hope and was saved the day before he died. But, I mean, hope in life, you've got some bitter, calloused unbelievers out there, but deep down, everyone wants a hope. It's, and it is true that the Christian has hope. Things are going to get better and better for the Christian. Things are going to get great for the Christian. And, and I hope I'm speaking about many things in this life and blessings before you get to heaven. But what I'm, what I'm speaking about as a promise that things are going to get great is heaven, is where we're going. And, and Jesus Christ is our blessed hope. We have hope and things are going to be excellent. Things are going to be perfect for the Christian one day. But that's not so for the unsaved. The unsaved people don't realize what they're saying when they say things like, oh, I just, I'd probably just be better off dead. My, my dad didn't understand what he was saying when he was on that little airplane and with his friend and they, they took off and he barely missed a power line because the, the plane was so small and he didn't judge my dad's weight in that little bitty plane and he barely got over that power line. His friend Charlie was a nervous wreck and was shaking like this and my dad said, look at this Charlie and my dad's hand was just as steady as can be and he was just as lost as he could be. And he didn't understand. Praise the Lord. He came to understand and he feared what the afterlife would be like without Jesus. And he believed in Jesus. A lost person doesn't realize what they're saying when they say, I I wish I were gone. You know, there's still an opportunity for hope while anyone is alive. It, It doesn't matter 
what they have rejected and what they have done throughout their lives. If someone has crossed God's deadline, we're not to, we're not to try to discern that. He's not going to let us know that. We need to tell people about a hope for eternity as long as they are alive. There's a point here that while there is life, there is hope. That's something very encouraging about life that we see here. How about this statement? And I've brought this out before in sermons, the end of verse 4. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. Man, we sure love our dogs today, don't we? Man, we treat them so good. And don't get me wrong, I, I like dogs. You know, I don't think they ought to be treated better than humans. But, but we, we like them, and man, they're a, it's like they're a different animal today than they were in Bible days. Everything said about a dog in the Bible is negative. It was a diseased, wild animal. And the lion, man, the lion was this regal type animal. And, but the dog here is better than the lion. How is that? Because the dog is alive. Because the dog has life. And the lion doesn't. The dog was a worthless animal. The lion was the greatest animal. But the difference was one having life and one being behind the door of death. And, and that's to be likened unto unto people in this day and time and considering how there, there is access to hope for anyone while they are alive and breathing and their heart is beating that they might come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Praise the Lord for hope. For to him that is joined to all the living, there is hope. Verse 5, for the living know not, for the living know that they shall die. But the dead know not anything, neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. If more people would consider life and death, they would make plans and preparations for it. I've been, I've, I've been poked at because I've said I, I like funeral services and what I like about it is taking somebody who doesn't go near the church tries not to go near Christians and there they are sitting under the word of God and the subject is life and death and someone is is there that the funeral is for and it's undeniable to everyone in their heart, that one day they will be there. Oh, if people would make their preparations for life and death and, and do greater things with every opportunity possible. Verse 6, Also their love and their hatred, their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. It's so encouraging that there is life and access for anyone to have eternal life because death for the unsaved, it is so very final. There's, 
There's no other chance. There's no, there's no second chance. There's no chance for anyone after death. Everything is gone for the lost when they die. Their passions, their pleasures, their possessions. Death cannot be slowed down. It is coming. It is coming quickly. And people need to be prepared. Lost people need to be saved. And we need to tell them about it. And while we have life, we've made the decision to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We have eternal life right now. But while there is life here, what, what is it that we do here that, that's not going to happen in eternity? We're to lay up treasures for ourselves. The Bible says there's something for us to do while we have a life of faith and hope. And that is to do the things of God and lay up treasures in heaven. Life is encouraging. We're to enjoy it. Verse 7, Go thy way, eat thy bread with joy, and drink thy wine with a merry heart, for God now accepteth thy works. We can enjoy life. I mean, I, I don't know who can enjoy life better than the Christian. You know, the peace that we have, knowing where we're going, having our blessed hope, Jesus Christ, we can enjoy life. We're to enjoy life. We're not to feel guilty about it. What we enjoy in life, now, now, now that gets into some particulars, and I think that's going to be in the next verse. But we can enjoy life right now. We're to rejoice always, the Bible says. It is a life of joy. I tell you, after many years of being unsaved, I've, been, I've, been, I've had so much more joy than, than any happiness, any worldly thing ever brought me. Enjoy life. Enjoy what you have. If it's not very much, enjoy it. Because more things don't, do not bring joy. Joy comes from the Lord. He gives joy. It doesn't come by things. It doesn't come by what we have. So enjoy life with what you have. I, I love this new brunch we're having and listening to people tell stories. And one member said, I, I had no idea we were poor growing up. Grew up in a Christian home and I loved life. Life was great. I didn't even realize we didn't hardly have anything. I thought we liked biscuits and gravy. And that's why we had it every day. I thought that was it. Enjoy life. With, with what you have because it comes from the Lord. We can enjoy life because God now accepteth thy works, the Bible says. God accepts the works of His children. Ephesians says, we are accepted in the Beloved. Paul says to Timothy, God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Christians have a reason to be the most joyful people on earth. We're the only people who can live in God's will. We're the only people who can do God's will. We're the only people who are acceptable to God and have the things of, that we do accepted by God. Enjoy life. But, but let's put this in, in God's wonderful boundaries. doesn't hinder a thing to talk about God's boundaries. God's boundaries are safe. They protect, 
They're a blessing. So in verse 8, let's go from where to enjoy to where to elevate. Let thy garment... Enjoy life, okay? Let thy garments be always white. And let thy head lack no ointment. So, enjoying life is not just doing whatever we want. God is elevating us to holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. How exciting is that, that He takes a sinner, saves us, and starts making us holy. God elevates us to love the things that He loves, to do things that are Holy Spirit-led, holy things that glorify Him. We have godly pleasure in life, in a pure life. White, in verse 8, it says, Let thy garments be always white. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. That's what He does for us. We've been washed white as snow, and we're spiritually clothed, if you will, in a bright robe of righteousness in Jesus Christ. We're elevated. Paul found the best life when he got saved. He says, for to me, to live is Christ. Listen to what that's saying about Paul's life in Christ. To live is Christ. There's no better way to enjoy life. We're to elevate, we're to engage, verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity, which he hath given thee under the sun all the days of thy vanity, for that is thy portion in this life and in thy labor which thou takest under the sun. Solomon went out in a worldly experiment and he made a lot of mistakes. Got a lot of scars. And the wisdom that He gives to us comes from the mistakes He made. I said we're wise if we learn from our mistakes. We're wiser if we learn from the mistakes of others. Solomon brings up a subject by the word wife where he made a lot of mistakes. And there is some wisdom for us in this area that He gives us. A simple little saying to convey some of this would be, keep the fire in the fireplace at home or you'll burn the whole house down. Have undivided love, not unrestrained lust. Hebrews 13.4, such an important verse for for marriage or engagement and and all of these things. And it, it speaks of marriage being honorable. Hebrews 13.4 does. Here in verse 9, it speaks of marriage being joyful. I don't... Let me just say this. There's a lot of things I saw when I was a kid and growing up around and about in the world. And, and, and honestly, thinking back, I can't help but believe that I had the thought that marriage was a negative thing. That 
I think I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Here it speaks. I, man, when, when I read the Word of God, whoa, whoa, I'm not talking about my marriage. I said when I was a kid and the things I saw. Absolutely. Keep it in my childhood as a little kid. That's what I said. But no kidding. When I read in the Word of God the marriage that He created and how beautiful it is and, and how wonderfully long marriage is designed to be. Two becoming one flesh by holy matrimony in godly union is entering into this free, delightful, loving relationship that's so blessed by God. Man, God in the marriage. It does wonderful things. It's, it's having mutual forbearance of sorrow and trial for those who are married, for those who do get married. It, you know, to, to walk through that together. You know, what does the devil do? How does the flesh want to react? Maybe against one another over difficulties. But we're made to be one flesh and we, we walk through our sorrows together and our trials. Our joy and our blessing, we celebrate that together. We share that together. It's a deeply rooted 100% effort on both sides that God blesses. You know, the more we love the Lord, the greater benefit there's going to be in the marriage. If marriage isn't joyful, it's not God's fault. Verse 10, diligent in effort. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Coming off the last subject that Solomon was talking about, it's, it's not 50%, 50% in the marriage, it's 100%, 100% in the marriage. And it's to be 100% in all things for the children. Diligent in effort in this life that we are enjoying and that we have. I was so convicted one time when a preacher years ago, before I ever came to this church, preacher said, the Christian employee ought to be the best employee on the job. A hundred percent. And all that man, that convicted me because I knew I wasn't given that. I, I hope, I'd like to think it made me start giving that. A little kick in the seat of the pants is what I think I got spiritually from the Word of God concerning that. We're to give 100% in everything that we do. We shouldn't think of life as getting something, but giving something, doing something. There are things we can do, and there are things we can't do. And God knows those things we can't do, and He takes care of those. And what He's 
created us in Him to be able to do we need, we need to do, and we need to do it well. We need to do it heartily, as it says in Colossians. 3.23 of Colossians. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Diligent in effort in all we do. We won't do that if we're getting all caught up in these details of life that God doesn't want us obsessing over. God lets us know there are things we're not going to figure out. How are we going to be diligent in effort if we're hung up on unexplainable things? We can't be. I thank the Lord for His Word and the help to line out our lives that we not, might not be hindered by those things because of God's instruction that would, that would have us to, to put that to the side. That's not the main thing. That's not even a thing. Stick to the main thing. We make life more complicated than what it is sometimes. A good, simple life of keeping the main thing the main thing. Pastor Stone never preached it, but I, and, and he can tell me if I'm quoting him wrong, but I think he was going to preach a sermon on bringing back the rocking chair, sitting on the front porch in a rocking chair. Not that the sermon would be about doing nothing, but we, we, we just get to making life so complicated. We need to quit thinking about the details of life ex, and accept the details of life. Accept it. Accept it for what it is. Overcome the negativity in life. Be encouraged in life. Be encouraged by life. Engage in it. Put effort into it. There, there's a lot of help there. And I pray we all got it in spite of me. The direction, the aim, the, the focus that we're to have in life that's going to make us more profitable, that's going to make us be able to do all that we do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men and not be hindered. Well, God bless you all. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Uh, Steve Spence, would you close our Bible study in a word of prayer, sir?